Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Full and thanks for listening. Right, let's find out what it's like being freelance for digital marketer Josh Hoffman. This whole concept of act local, think global. And I was like, wait, how can I do that for my freelance business? There's no big secret or shortcut that you can do today that's going to bring you amazing success tomorrow. It's just these little things that you have to be consistent with every day. If you just get caught up in like, oh, what's that one big thing? Well, there's not one big thing. There's a lot of little things that create that one big thing. And and for me, that's what's helped me reach the point where I'm at today. Yeah, there's Josh, who I described in that very brief intro as a digital marketer, which he is. But he would actually describe himself as a personal branding and digital marketing extraordinaire. But that's a bit too long to fit in before the music kicks in. <laughs> so it's probably too long for the URL and the name of this website as well. But anyway, it's a, it's a good tagline and I have now used it. So yes, Josh coming up in a moment. Don't forget, beingfreelance.com is the website. Sign up to the newsletter. Check out the vlog as well. Me documenting my freelance week. I would love it if you hit subscribe on there as, as well. When you do that, I've only learned this recently, in YouTube, as well as subscribing, it's really handy if you turn on notifications. I noticed this because I'd subscribed to a loads of channels and I thought, I never really find out when those people have new stuff. It's only when you turn on notifications that like, you get a message saying, blah, blah, has uploaded a new video, which is really handy. Yeah, so hit subscribe, turn on notifications and enjoy the vlog as well. And of course, the biggest thing you could do is share this with other freelancers that you know, be it at a meetup or online, spread the love. Um, get into another one. Let's say hello to Josh Hoffman, freelance branding and digital marketing extraordinaire who is currently in Bangkok. Hey, Josh. Hey, Steve. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. So how about we get started hearing about how you got started being freelance? Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Uh, went to school, went to university at San Diego State University down in San Diego, as you can tell by the name of the university. <laughs> and um, basically, when I was about 16, my mom told me, if you find what you love and you do what you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. And I said, OK, what does that mean? So I loved sports. I still love sports. But back then, I really, really loved sports. And I was a pretty good writer. So I was like, well, I'll just combine those two things and I'll pursue sports journalism. I'll be a sports writer. So I went to San Diego State University to study journalism and I had all types of great internships and jobs and experiences and opportunities within sports journalism leading up to my senior year of college where I was uh, working as an assistant producer at NBC, the TV station down in San Diego. And, you know, on the outside looking in, I get this opportunity to work at NBC, one of the major television networks. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, I mean, this is a dream come true. And on, the, on top of that, I wasn't even a college graduate yet. And yet I was working in a newsroom, getting paid actually quite, quite a good uh, wage and, you know, had this great opportunity or so I thought. And then once I started getting into the job and, and kind of being in the inside, being on the inside and you know, learning how, how that world works in terms of the corporate world and, and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't exactly the sexy, shiny object that I thought it was from the outside looking in. And about six months in, I had just graduated from college and they actually offered me uh, a promotion. And I said, you know what, like, just because this is a, a notable corporation and just because I'm making good money and I'm actually living in a terrific city in San Diego, doesn't mean I'm going to be happy. Right. If, if, I'm, if you're dedicating so much of your time right, to, to work, then I think it's important to do something that truly makes you happy. It doesn't have to make you happy all the time. I think that's maybe too idealistic. 
but it should certainly make you happy more often than not. And at NBC in San Diego, I just was not that happy, you know, with the working hours and the the day-to-day responsibilities. So when they offered me the the full-time, you know, promotion, I actually just declined. I said, you know, thank you, but no thank you. I ended up moving back to Los Angeles, moved in with mom, which is not exactly what every 23-year-old male college graduate wants to do, move in with mom. But sometimes you got to take one step back to take two steps forward, uh, which is something that I kind of learned in hindsight. And at that point, I just started helping local Los Angeles businesses with content marketing, social media marketing, different digital marketing type stuff, and, and grew from there. Man, so that's quite a thing, though. Like, you, you're out of college, you've got probably a load of college fees to pay off or something, and you've oh, yes. got a pretty secure job looking ahead of you. To actually step back and suddenly carve out a freelance career doing something different, that, that's quite a thing to do. You know, I think for me at the time, there's something to be said about naivete uh, <laughs> and, and, and maybe being young and inexperienced and maybe relying more on intuition and on kind of a gut feeling and less on kind of a calculated risk. Um, I definitely weighed my options. It wasn't like a knee-jerk reaction by any means. But I think what what I learned and what I think maybe other people can learn from, from that time in my life was it's okay to not have all the answers and it's okay to, you know, maybe go down a different path that may be a little less visible when you start on that path. But the the important thing is to realize that, you know, this concept of impermanence, like, you know, if you quit a job today and you try to do the freelancing and it doesn't work out, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, certainly you will have to take some, some risk and make some sacrifices, but, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, I just think for me, it just made sense. Um, you know, do you want to do the easy thing, which is go down that kind of work for somebody else path, especially because I already had the job? Or do I want to do something that maybe is going to take some more effort, some more outside the box thinking, but is ultimately going to uh, maximize my personal happiness, which, by the way, Steve, is my personal barometer of success. It's not money. It's not anything other than am I happy on a day to day basis? And of course, money does play a part in that. Don't get me wrong. Like I like to do nice things. I, I like to travel. Um, I like to um, do a lot of things that require a lot of money. Um, so, so money is a component, but I think when it becomes the component, that's where the trouble starts to, to take form. So you move back in with your mum. you're in Los Angeles again, and you become a, a digital marketer. So how, how, how did you reset? How did you go about finding those clients? It's, it's really about understanding what your skills are. So for me, if you actually strip away the sports and, and even the journalism, and you look at what my core skills were, it's, it's writing and it's storytelling. And so how, how can I take those skills that I had uh, based on, I don't know, God-given abilities, if you believe in that sort of thing, and then kind of the skills that I developed over time through you know, pursuing my degree and the different jobs and, and internships that I had, how do you take all those things that you've acquired and the things that kind of come naturally to you, and then how do you transfer them to, in this case for me, you know, helping businesses with digital marketing, a lot of which is storytelling and writing and and so making that that transfer was kind of a no-brainer to be honest with you like I didn't have to think twice about it. it's like I know I'm good at this and I don't only have to do this for a media company I can also do this for other businesses and brands and organizations that need it especially back then in 2012 when social media was on the up and up and so I would just tell anyone if, if you're not quite sure what kind of freelance path you want to carve out for yourself 
just strip down and, and get to the, the, the bottom of your, your skills, your talents, and your abilities and figure out how that can translate into some sort of service. Because it, it definitely can. It's just about thinking a little create, creatively and, and maybe getting rid of the, the noise. of For me, it was the sports and all that kind of stuff and getting down to that, that foundation, if you will. And when you were actually getting those clients, though, what were you doing? Were you knocking on doors? Were you going to networking events? Were you, what, what was your initial way of getting into it? All of the above, as well as word of mouth. Um, so yeah, networking. Um, I didn't do a whole lot of cold calling and cold emailing. Um, I didn't even really leverage that much of my personal network at the time. Um, but a lot of it was mainly word of mouth, which is certainly how most freelancers start. Again, in hindsight, looking back, is that word of mouth on its own is not a marketing strategy for freelancers, and it's certainly not a way to grow a successful freelance business over the long run. So how did you? How did it evolve from there? So that's like 2012. Yeah, so 2012, then going into 2013, uh, I actually moved halfway across the, is- to the, the world to Israel, to Tel Aviv which was a whole different thing. <laughs> um, but really, I remember I was, and the reason I bring that up is because I remember being in Tel Aviv. This was now, I want to say 2014. It might have even been 2015. But anyway, I was in Tel Aviv and I was in a sunglasses shop and I was talking to the owner. And I really love to have conversations with business owners of all kinds because it just allows me to understand what business owners are thinking and feeling in terms of digital marketing. Then I can kind of gear my pitches or, or the different things that I want to talk about with potential clients to really make sure that I'm hitting home at the things that they care about. So I'm talking to the owner of this sunglasses shop and I don't remember the exact nature of the conversation, but it was something like, hey, uh, you know, is this your only store? And he's like, well, yeah, we have this local store in Tel Aviv and we also sell, you know, worldwide online on our e-commerce shop. And I said, oh, that's cool. And he said, yeah, you know, it's this whole concept of act local, think global. And I, I, I'm telling you, like it was yesterday, I just remember like I had this light bulb moment and I was like, wait, how can I do that for my freelance business? How can I act local and think global? And so I went home and I just, I remember like I had a girlfriend at the time and I remember I was like just talking to her about it. Like, how can I do this? How can I do this? This is exactly how I need to take myself to the next level. And that's kind of where it started, where I started to, to think about, okay, um, let's talk about the act local thing first. So act local, I'm in Tel Aviv. What can I do in my local environment to promote myself, my personal brand, my services, et cetera. And so for me, that was hosting uh, complimentary lectures and seminars and different things of that nature, which worked out really well. And then how do you think global, which doesn't mean worldwide domination. It just means how do you reach and, and attract potential clients outside of your geographic vicinity? Um, you know, so whether that's me being American, so I'm, I'm in Tel Aviv, but how do I still uh, attract American clients or European clients or other English speaking clients throughout the world? And that's content marketing and social media marketing. And so having that nice symbiotic relationship between the local and the quote unquote global allowed me to really take myself to that next level and not just rely on word of mouth. That's cool. So what did you actually do to start thinking globally, like taking your blog to a a larger audience or exactly so blogging guest blogging for other sites you know just getting more systematic to be honest about not just creating content but creating content that kind of works for me so that i don't have to constantly be putting out more and more content because that can be very time intensive and, and also difficult for some people who maybe don't have that that natural born storytelling or writing ability 
Um, it doesn't have to be writing. It could be videos, it could be photography, it could be graphics if you're a graphic designer. But for me, it was just getting more into like marketing funnels. And, and also, like I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine and he's like, listen, Josh, like you profess to be this great digital marketer, yet you don't do any digital marketing for your own business. <laughs> and that, again, was another light bulb moment. It's like, wait, he's right. So doing the things that I would tell other businesses to do, that they would hire me to help them do, or that I would you know, tell them to do as a consultant. So yeah, email marketing, blogging, and then really uh, social media marketing, but with a major emphasis on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has really been my best friend over the last few years. And, and, and then using email marketing as a complement to that, um, those two things have been kind of my, my biggest assets, if you will, in terms of continuously marketing myself. And what sort of thing are you putting out when you say email marketing? One email. It's actually quite simple. A lot of people think, oh, wow, email marketing, LinkedIn, social media, think, uh, think global, act local, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's actually quite simple. I write one, essentially, article a week. And I just blast it out to my email list. So instead of saying like, here's a link to my blog post on my website, I just copy and paste the blog post into an email so it looks like a native email. Um, and then I use LinkedIn publishing and repurpose that blog post on there. And then doing something which I call the networking of life, which is, is actually the marketing aspect of, of content marketing. Because creating content, at least for me, is, is, is quite easy. But it's how do you get that content into the right people's hands and continuously create value using that content and also stay relevant in people's lives until they're willing, able, and ready to, to hire you. And so the networking of life is essentially, instead of going to networking events, which people love to do, and you go and you hand out your business card and you feel important for a few minutes, every single day I am in some fashion networking. So if I'm, you know, again, act local. So if I'm you know going to the coffee shop, I'm talking to the business owner and I'm not talking to him saying, hey, I'm a digital marketing and personal branding extraordinaire. I'm just talking to him as a person saying like, hey, like you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. We have something in common. Let's just have a conversation about business. Like how's, how's the local industry, how's the local economy for you? Like, you know, what kinds of challenges are you experiencing with this kind of globalized economy? Even though you're a local business, like how are you leveraging the internet to grow your business? Just having these conversations and then, you know, you, you build up that that rapport, that basic level of trust. Maybe I'll take his business card, add him to my email list, connect with him on LinkedIn. Anytime somebody comes to me through a referral, through email, let's say, I'll find them on LinkedIn, I'll add them to my email list. So I'm constantly growing my network literally every single day. Even like on LinkedIn, and this is little stuff. A lot of people think, oh, well, Josh, this is obvious. Well, if it's obvious, then you should probably already be doing it. And it's not a home run. You're not going to hit a home run with any of this stuff. But it's like, you just if you understand baseball, which I know you're from the UK, Steve, so, so maybe <laughs> uh, it'll be a little harder for you to understand. But like instead of trying to hit a home run every at-bat, you just want to get on base. Like get a single, then get another single, and then like work around until you can get home and score that first run, if, if people can understand that baseball analogy. Meaning there's no big secret or shortcut that you can do today that's going to bring you amazing success tomorrow it's just these little things that you have to be consistent with every day that will allow you you know from six months from now to have great success and then you can look back and say wow like over the last six months i've actually done a whole lot of great things but if you just get caught up in like oh what's that one big thing well there's not one big thing there's a lot of little things that create that one big thing and and for me that's what's helped me reach the point where i'm at today so you're blogging and putting it out in all different places, including, I notice, so Medium. So you have your personal name, but you've also created like a sub-brand of the business of media, right? 
Yeah, so you have on Medium, you have like publications and then you have like a profile. So I have my profile, which is Josh Hoffman. And then you can create like a publication, which is kind of like a built-in blog into Medium. It's kind of hard to explain. But um, I have the business of media, which that publication is for my digital marketing, personal branding audience. And then I have Epic Freelancing, which is for my freelancing audience. And um, yeah, essentially I'm using Medium also to syndicate different types of content according to my different audiences. That's cool because I don't think maybe a lot of people don't realize that's there. Like they think of Medium as simply a site called Medium or an app called Medium where you can post a blog. But actually being able to create your own branded blog around that, I don't think exactly perhaps some people realize you can do that. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing like you always have to be reinventing yourself and understanding like the new platforms and the new mediums that are out there um, and not just getting romantic, I think. And you see this across the board. And I know you know this, Steve, but like everyone gets romantic about how they achieved past success. Um, and there's a great saying, you know, what got you here today won't get you there tomorrow. So constantly being on top of not just the technology, but, you know, things that are important to your clients or important to your customers, you know, those are changing as well. And so constantly being in the know and understanding how you can leverage these different things uh, is super important to, to keep achieving that kind of success that you want. So it's 2015 when you have the at local think global sort of light bulb moment and you kind of go off on on this uh big strategy which has helped you grow but let's talk about where it's taken you to so how has your business changed in those past two years that's a great question so you know i think the two most important um life skills regardless of your career path or if you're a long-time professional if you're still a student whatever um two things one is surrounding yourself with mentors and people who have been there and done that and, and really trying to tap into to their insights and their experiences as much as you can. But the second thing, which is really to answer your question, is self-awareness. And I think in 2015, once I had that light bulb moment, I mean, my business like doubled and actually kind of closer to tripled and I was making a ton of money. But I wasn't actually enjoying the work I was doing on a day-to-day basis. I was working a ton. I was working like 60 hours a week, which to me is a ton. Um, And I was making a lot, a lot of money. And I was definitely experiencing a ton of growth as well. But I wasn't that happy. And I didn't realize it at the time because everything was going so fast that I didn't have time to even come up and breathe. But essentially, my business actually crashed. Because I was going so fast. I was trying to run a sprint instead of understanding this this concept of of running a a marathon when you're running a business and everything just crashed i tried to grow too big too fast and i went through a very bad depression and uh basically lost everything including all my clients except for one lost a ton of money um lost a lot of pride and 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 motivation um and then i really had to look myself in the mirror and i said like josh what do you really want to be doing because like yeah you just made all that money but then here here you are today barely able to get out of bed uh, your your relationship with my girlfriend at the time was completely screwed also as a byproduct of, of this mess. And I had to ask myself some serious questions, including how, how can you be more self-aware so that you don't go through this process again? And so for me, it was about what are the things that I'm good at and what are the things that I enjoy doing, my strengths and my passions. And finding that intersection, which uh, for me is high-level consulting and strategy, has allowed me to reinvent myself, to get back on the right track, um, to make a lot more money uh, per hour, which is something known as relative income, which to me is more important than absolute income. But, but ultimately, 
having, again, like I talked about moving home with my mom, one step back, two steps forward. I also see that experience of the, the, the kind of the roller coaster ride of the, the huge rise and then the crash and burn was one step back. And now I've been able to take two steps forward in a, in a high level strategy and consulting capacity. And then also I have uh, a website called Epic Freelancing, which I've uh, used to, to mentor and to teach and instruct different freelancers who want to achieve the sort of success that I consider uh, to be uh, for Epic Freelancers. Yeah, and with that, you've created courses for freelancers, but courses for businesses in digital marketing and stuff as well, right? Correct. Man, so you had such success, in quotation marks, that you kind of struggled to say no to work by the sounds of it. It's almost like all that work was coming your way until it burnt you out. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so now you figured, well, I can still make perhaps a similar amount of money, but by charging more to less customers. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm intrigued by those, the actual phrases though, relative income and absolute income. Just talk us briefly through that. Sure. So absolute income is kind of the more traditional um, um, type of income, at least how we perceive income, which is just how much money you make every month or every year irrespective of how much time you're putting in to make that money. So, you know, in America, we talk about annual income. So, you know, I make $100,000 a year. And I think in Europe and other parts of the world, it's more monthly. So I make, you know, $10,000 a month or whatever it is. Um, That's absolute income. Now, what absolute income doesn't factor in is the time investment. So, yeah, you might be making, let's just say, a quarter million dollars a year, right? But if you're working, let's say, 80 hours a week, and there's 52 weeks in a year. I'm just taking you through the math right now. Mm. So that's 4,160 hours that you worked in a year. And if you take a quarter million, that's actually only $60 an hour. And I say only because that's really not that much. So yeah, you've made a quarter million dollars that year, but you've had to work basically two jobs because kind of the, the traditional work week is 40 hours. But if you're making a quarter million dollars a year, you're not just working 40 hours a, a, um, a week. So you're making basically $60 an hour. So that's the relative income. And relative mm. income is how much time you're putting in in order to make the kind of money you're making. So for me right now in this moment, and people will probably listen to this episode far beyond the, the date that it was published, but for me, I'm charging $125 an hour right now. I'm not making a quarter million dollars a year. But my goal is not to make a quarter million dollars a year. My goal is to actually just afford the lifestyle that I want to be living in this moment. And by charging that kind of money, I, 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 it's not a competition, so I wouldn't say like I'm more successful than the person who's making uh, you know, a quarter million dollars a year but has to put in twice the amount of time or even more, really, because I'm only working about 20 hours a week. But it, it's really about just understanding how much time you're putting in. And I think that's especially for freelancers. What, what most freelancers don't understand is what's your product, what's your service? It's not your skills. It's not a course. It's not, you know, graphic design, web development, digital marketing. It's time because services take time to provide. Therefore, you're actually selling time. And once you can really get a grip on your time and, and, and you know, qu- quantify your time through money, what's known as an hourly rate or relative income, that is where you can really take yourself to the next level, whether it's charging more and working less, charging more and making more because you maybe you're working the same amount of time. But either way, you control that sort of relationship between your time and how much money you can charge for it. Mm. I mean, you mentioned in there you want to make enough money to sustain a lifestyle you want to have. So let's talk about that lifestyle. Obviously, you're in Bangkok, <laughs> as we mentioned. <laughs> so um, is that like... 
um, part of your deal? Do you often travel while working? Do you not sit still? What's what's that like for you? Yeah, I have like some kind of ADD where I can't really be in one place for a long time. No, uh, you know, for me, it's it's just about again personal happiness. So, like in 2012, I was in LA, and in 2013, I moved to Tel Aviv. And then that was like great. And I traveled a lot because Tel Aviv is very close to Europe. So I did a lot of traveling to Europe. And for me, it's just like I want to explore um, on a personal level. I'm able to be more creative when I'm exploring and, and kind of surrounding myself with different different things and different experiences and different sites. It just allows my brain to function at a higher level. So I come up with some of my best ideas, whether they're personal ideas or business ideas, as I'm experiencing new places. Um, and also, I mean, who doesn't love to travel, right? It's, it's, it's quite quite fun and quite exhilarating, could be relaxing if you like that sort of vacation or that type of uh, trip. But yeah, I would say since 2013, I've definitely kind of been on the move and sometimes I stay for a few years, sometimes I stay for a few months, sometimes I stay for a few weeks. So it, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I wake up every day and I'm like, what do I feel like doing today? Like every day is not, I mean, some days are the same, but week to week at least is quite different, just depending on my mood, depending on what I want to accomplish, depending on all different factors that uh, you know are important for me to again pursue that that level of personal happiness that I want. How do you manage your client expectations when you're traveling and in different time zones? So, so frankly, you know, I've, I think I've done a really good job of managing my clients internationally. You know, they they would ask me where I am because that's still kind of a natural question that people want to know today. But I would always steer the conversation away from where I am. I would tell them where I am. I mean, I'm not trying to lie or hide anything, but I would always steer the conversation away from that and more toward, let's just get down to business. And sometimes they're curious, like, oh, that's so cool. You're living in Tel Aviv or, oh, you're in Bangkok. And, you know, they actually find it quite interesting. So I will talk about it. But to the extent that I try to stay on the ball with what we're trying to accomplish here is important. And then in terms of like the work itself, I don't do anything that's urgent. So like in terms of time differences, like, you know, there'll never be a situation, at least in my current, you know, set of services where like I have to be awake at 4 a.m. to, you know, do something or like check a Facebook message for maybe a, a Facebook page of one of my clients or respond to an email. Like I've totally removed that from my life, which is important, too, because I used to do that stuff and I used to have to work at 2 a.m. in Tel Aviv sometimes for my clients in Los Angeles based on the time difference. And that was okay back then, like it paid the bills and it was a good learning experience. But now I've removed all of that urgent type of stuff so that I'm only working on stuff that really can be done in a, a series of days or even a series of weeks. And I also create the timetables a lot. So I'm able to kind of leverage that to my benefit as well. So obviously in amongst the work and the making the most of where you are, so traveling and but also putting out all of the content and everything that you do to market yourself and the courses mm -hmm. and... I'm intrigued as to how you structure your day or perhaps how you structure your week to get everything done. Yeah. So it actually doesn't sound like you make it sound like a lot more work than it really is. <laughs> um, I think what I've become really good at is creating systems so that I'm being as time efficient as possible, which is a big thing that I work with freelancers on, not just marketing yourself and adding more work to your plate, but how can you become really as time efficient as possible? Because again, time is the name of the game. Um, how do I structure my day? It's, it's quite simple. I wake up. I actually wake up pretty late. I don't know if I'll tell you what time I wake up, but it's, let's just say it's after 10 o'clock. <laughs> and I'll work for a few hours, um, and then I will go and I'll break up my day. So that could be going to the gym. I coach a basketball team right now, so I'm often coaching basketball in the 
late afternoon for a few hours. Uh, that could be just like meeting friends for uh, lunch or a drink or coffee. It could be sightseeing if I'm traveling. And then I'll come back and in the late afternoon, I'll put in another few hours. And then, you know, at night, depending on the, the day and the week, maybe I'll go out. Maybe I'll do a little bit more work at night, watch a movie, go to sleep, read a book. Um, and then in terms of my week, I only work really Monday to Thursday, meaning um, I don't take any phone calls or any meetings. And, and frankly, I don't do many meetings anymore because I'm, I'm quite busy traveling or not being in the place of my clients. Um, but I'll never take a phone call on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So people want to schedule a call with me, they can schedule it Monday to, to, to Thursday. And I also have this like online scheduler, which I know a lot of people know about today. There's like Calendly, and I use uh, Acuity Scheduling. So I block off a lot of time automatically. Even if I'm not actually busy, I'll just block off time on my calendar, which then corresponds to my online scheduler. So people can only like schedule calls with me, whether it's clients or the freelancers that I mentor or whatever, during certain times that I choose. I'm not like readily available all the time, and that's for different reasons. Maybe I'm working on something, maybe I want some personal time to, to do my own thing outside of work, but that's kind of how I structure my week. Mm. And how about the financial side of it, like logistically, when you're traveling in that way? How do you deal with getting paid when you're, for example, in Bangkok and your clients are all over the world? Good question. Um, so I basically get paid in three ways. The first one is direct deposit into my American bank account. And that's usually, uh, frankly, it could be with, with any client around the world. Like my clients in Israel will send me direct deposit. Clients in America will also send me direct deposit. PayPal is the second thing, which I use less and less. I used to use it more. And then the, the last one, which I'm actually using more now, and maybe it's kind of replacing PayPal, is uh, Square, squareup.com, which is actually, uh, I think, owned by Twitter. Um, at least the CEO of Twitter, Jack Ramsey, is also the CEO of Square. I don't know, it's a weird thing going on there, but I use Square for uh, credit card payment processing. I've also used Squarespace, like my website, joshhoffman.com, uh, and also epicfreelancing.com. Those are both Squarespace websites, so they have payment processing. So, you know, you find ways to get creative, but frankly, like, it's not even about getting creative anymore. It's just there's all these tools available, like FreshBooks. You can, I think, accept payment through FreshBooks. If you, that's kind of an accounting management invoicing software for freelancers that I think they also have built-in credit card processing. So that's a lot of easy ways to get paid, whether it's, you know, a credit card or direct deposit, uh, bank transfer. Yeah. So basically, you've kept it all with your US bank account. And then you just, Correct. You, you draw money from there to whatever currency you might end up needing it in. Correct. So I'm making dollars all the time, and then I'm spending another currency. I, I can leverage my US dollars to live the kind of life that I want to live. So I like to eat at nice restaurants. I like to get massages. I like to take Uber instead of like the bus. So it's just like, you know, I like to live a comfortable life like most people. So, you know, I go to countries that I can do that and, and also save some money too, not just spend it all. But yeah, I, I definitely see the value. And, and of course, being American helps, right? And I mean, also being British, you know, with the pound and everything. So there's a lot of countries, especially in the Western world, where you can still make that currency, but then travel and go to countries, Southeast Asia, South America, where the currency is in your favor, essentially. So your money goes farther is really what it means. Cool. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. So what do you have for me? Alrighty. So the first one is that um, I went skydiving. So I've jumped out of an airplane from 12,000 feet. 
The second one is that I've been to all six continents. I'm sorry, six of the seven continents. <laughs> and uh, the third and final one is that I was able to interview my all-time favorite player and really role model slash icon growing up, Kobe Bean Bryant. Okay. Well, this, all of these are totally believable. Uh, you clearly like traveling. Six out of seven continents. Skydiving, sort of thing that you do when you go traveling. <laughs> Kobe Bryant, uh, even I have heard of him <laughs> as, uh, as a Brit. But you were a sports journalist, so the chances are you could work. And you love basketball. Um, okay. Uh, wh- where did you do the skydiving? Skydiving, I did in Israel. Um, doesn't really help. <laughs> Six out of seven content. Okay, there's not much I can really ask about this. Okay, I don't think... I don't think you interviewed Kobe Bryant. I have. Ah, I have not been to six of the seven continents. How many do you reckon you have been to? I've been to North America, Europe, and Asia. <sighs> Some way to go yet. Yeah. There's a goal. Okay. We'll reconvene in three years and see, see how many you've ticked off. <laughs> Wicked. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Don't just rely on word of mouth. You know, we talked about it a lot already, but really have that multi-level marketing mix um, where you're having a, a bunch of different things and, and combining those things to have that one big thing um, is really how you're going to not just, uh, you know, build a successful free, freelance business, but grow it over time. I think that's the key there is how do you have sustained growth? And the way to do that is through that multi-level marketing mix. Can you remember, like, casting back a few years when... For example, your, I know, like your email marketing newsletter had, I don't know, five subscribers or something. Like, you know that point where there's almost zero. Mm-hmm. Can you remember that? Yeah, of course. How did you keep going? Like, it can, it can feel for some people like, you know, they're putting out this content and it's not necessarily working. Right. How, how you keep going. You have to have the concept or the, the approach of one is greater than zero. So like five is greater than four and four is greater than three. And I know that might sound trivial, but with the truth, Steve, is that you just have to always be taking one step forward, baby steps, you know, really. So every week measure your progress. And even if you only go from like five subscribers one week to seven the next, or even like five to six, like that's still an improvement. That's still one extra person that wants to read your content. Like that's a big deal. Um, and it might not sound like it, but it, it truly is. And so just having that one is greater than zero mentality um, and everything you do it will be hugely beneficial so that you're not, you know, trying to have these big picture expectations that maybe you're not going to be able to fulfill on the timeline that you want to fulfill them. That's a great way to end. Josh, thank you so much for your time. Josh is up to many things, as we've touched upon. There's probably more, frankly, than we have. <laughs> so check out joshhoffman.com. There's a link at beingfreelance.com through to uh, everything that he's up to and he's writing. I hugely recommend you check out. And, of course, uh, links to all of his social uh, presences as well and epic freelancing and all sorts. So go take a look, beingfreelance.com. And don't forget to sign up to the newsletter, mine and his. Off you go. And also, of course, if you've not hit subscribe on the podcast, but you do listen, then hit subscribe so you don't miss one of those as well. Josh, thanks so much. I know you don't know how long you're going to be in Bangkok. So enjoy Bangkok and wherever you end up next and all the best being freelance. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me, Steve. It's been a blast. Thank you.